Dave Max Cork History Matters brought to you by Red FM. Jerry White, military historian John Borgonovo, UCC History. You're well, I'm absolutely delighted to have the both of you here because I get to delve into a topic that I've been very interested in since I read your book, John, The Battle for Cork. Jerry, you are the curator of an exhibition in St. Peter's in Cork on North Main Street up until December of 2022. For anyone who may be listening to this, God knows at what point in the future. Um, where do we begin? What was the battle for Cork? Because I think many people, even in Cork, don't know about it. Well, when you think about the um, the Civil War in Ireland, so basically you have this uh, Anglo-Irish Treaty that's signed in January 1922. It sets up a new Irish free state within the British Empire. And there are... People from the independence movement who think that is a bridge too far, who oppose the setting up of a provisional government and the the setting up of a new state within the empire. So from the outset, there is opposition, primarily from the IRA, also from coming among the Republican Women's Organization. And over the next four, five, six months, it crystallizes into into basically a rejection of this new state. and threats of civil war uh, to defeat this Anglo-Irish treaty. The provisional government, which had accepted this treaty and had set up the new Irish Free State, is trying to build a new government, a new army. Um, They're supported by Great Britain, uh, and they are also promising stability to a country that had been rocked through a whole series of crises from the home rule crisis to the first world war to the Spanish pandemic, Spanish influenza pandemic to the war of independence. So for a lot of people, this new treaty promises stability, peace, and a respite from all this turmoil. Uh, But uh, Republicans who are holding fast to their uh, principles of sovereign independence aren't willing to compromise. And that sets the table for an armed conflict between what we call Republicans who oppose the Anglo-Irish Treaty, led by uh, people who are in the Irish Republican Army, the IRA, and um, the National Army, which is the new armed force of the, the Irish Free State, which has been set up. And these folks are called Free Staters or, um, or National Army Forces. Well, what might be an interesting question at this point, and Jerry, you as the military historian might be able to add uh, this is, you know, so th- this is the IRA who've taken over the government. So what, you know, it's a split in the IRA between those who accept the treaty and those who don't. Like, who makes up the National Army? Who, who are they constituted of? Well, initially, I mean, the very first, I suppose, unit... National Army unit would be members of the Dublin Guard who took over Biggest Bush Barracks and at the end of January 1922 they had crisp new green uniforms and all the rest of it. You see, one of the major challenges facing Collins when he took over, well, sorry, when the provisional government was formed was actually setting up a military organisation that could take over the installations from the British as they evacuated um, mm. the, the barracks in the 26 counties and also provide the necessary security for the for the fledgling um, Irish Free State. So initially he could only depend on people whose loyalty he could trust. But after that then, like the IRA split, as, as, as John mentioned earlier on, there were a number of those who would have been loyal to the Free State and they would have found their way into the National Army. But it is interesting to note, in the first few months of 1922, what became the National Army 
continued to call itself the Irish Republican Army. Mm. You know, they were very reluctant to let go of that name. Well, there was that the, the regulars of, and the irregulars. Irregulars, is, yeah, is, yeah, is, yeah no, but irregulars was sort of a term that you know that a propaganda term that was used by the. Okay. By the government, but it is interesting. It's only after the occupation, the split, in the, the formal split in the IRA in March 1922, the occupation of the four courts in April, that the name, uh, the that the pro-treaty forces sort of gradually stopped using the name okay. IRA, wow. and there was a lot of protests from Britain because they were saying, "Hold on a second, you can't have an army." You'll see, providing security for a free state, calling it a re- calling itself yes. a republic. Well, yeah, <laughs> that does sound <laughs> that sort of good. that, that was causing problems for Winston Churchill in particular. And what we see in those first months is we see a really rapid British evacuation. So they the the the, the Anglo Irish treaties ratified in January. Well, actually, yeah, John. Sorry to cut across because yeah. we maybe we'll take it almost from that moment of Collins going sure. to the, you know what a what a moment of Ireland's long history. And here we have Michael Collins into Dublin Castle to take the keys of the country. Absolutely, and they have a state to build. So I remember asking Gabriel in a previous podcast chat, Gabriel Doherty, a colleague of yours in, in from the UCC History Department. You know, you know, was there celebrations? But he said, I think they were too busy. They had too much to do. Uh, and they sort of had a choice. Do you, do you wipe the decks and start anew or do you build upon what was there already? So they built upon the existing civil service and infrastructure, but they have a state to build and it can't be easy. And then a number of months later, you have this split of those who will accept it and those who won't. Well, but from the outset, what you get is you get this extremely fast British evacuation in part to help uh, kind of provide substance to this new provisional government. But the the British are gone in weeks. So, you know, within about a, within days of the treaty being ratified, the, the auxiliary uh, division of the RIC, the Black and Tans, they're gone. They're out of the country. Like, uh, they're, they're Within about three weeks, the Royal Irish Constabulary, it's gone. It's disestablished. Within about two months, all of the British bases, with one or two exceptions, are gone. And so who takes over? Well, about three, two-thirds to three-quarters of the IRA opposed the Anglo-Irish Treaty. So in localities, which is most of the country, much of the country, anti-treaty IRA units are the only military force. So they basically administer these areas. Uh, Most of Munster, most of Connacht. Uh, the uh, National Army would have been and the Free State would have been more uh, centralized in in Leinster. Um, And... Within those places, basically, it's kind of suspended animation almost. People don't really know exactly what's going to happen. Uh, and it's only, it takes a couple months for these splits to become really, to become chasms, mm. to become un- basically, and people are trying to find a way out. They don't necessarily, leaders on both sides don't want a civil war. Nobody wants a civil war. But inevitably, it becomes a point where whether you're going to allow this new Irish free state government to function or, or are you not? Mm. And that becomes a shooting proposition by June 1922. And it's very easy to see, you know, what the issue was because what was being fought for is not what was achieved, you know, and it was a, a split country that we still live in. Uh, and, and yet, of course, we got the opportunity to form partially right. a country you know in in most of the territory so it, it you know it, it remains 
intensely complicated. You know, e- even if today you were to say, well, let's wave a magic wand and make a different decision. I, it's, I, you know, how could you call it? Something I just wanted to ask you, Jerry. No. sorry, John, was just, um, that must have been an amazing moment. Someone went up to Victoria Barracks and, and, and took the handover and one flag goes down and another flag goes well, up. Well, just before we get to Victoria Barracks, it is interesting to note, while John was talking about the evacuation of the barracks and the subsequent occupation by... Irish forces be Republican or Free State, it very nearly came to a shooting war in Limerick, right? Because you had a number of barracks in Limerick, you had a split in the, the local IRA there, and what happened in, is the Republican forces, for want of a better word at the, at the time, so the Republican forces, they were able to call on the likes of Tom Barry and Ernie O'Malley to reinforce, send troops into the city, and while at the same time then Richard Mulcahy was sort of running the, the show up in Dublin, sent... Um, Mick, Michael Brennan in from Clare. Oh, you mean so there was almost a, a struggle nearly, as to who oh, would, who would get the takeover? Take, and it came very close to a shooting war <laughs> even, in Limerick. Even then? Even this was February, the end of wow. February into Mar- March. Look, so it took a major compromise. Hang on, no, we'll take it. No, yeah. no, no, we'll no, take absolutely. it. <laughs> you see, like, there was a number of barracks in Limerick, so the, the compromise was you could have a couple of, and we'll have yeah, yeah, yeah. a couple in. We'll hope for the best. But to go back to, so, I mean, the, the, the threat posed by taking over the barracks was very real. Throughout May, you had, a, as John mentioned, a huge attempt by the likes of Collins... Um, and others to find any way that to, could to, to avoid an outbreak of violence. And that goes back to your question about Victoria Barracks. The takeover of Victoria Barracks was the result of a major compromise by the Richard Mulcahy, who was the, the, the Minister for Defence in the Dial, and Sean O'Hagerty, who was the commander of Corkham 1 Brigade of the IRA. Very, who were anti-treaty. Anti-treaty. Very strong um, um, Republican. So they worked out a compromise whereby... Like, the the British would not hand over a barracks to the IRA. So the compromise was that um, an officer in the National Army, Hugh McNeil, would arrive in Cork and he would sort of officially take over the barracks from the British. And once they marched out then, the IRA would march in, (laughs) the keys of the barracks would be handed over. And there was an an agreement whereby, like... they, they would sort of maintain order in the city and the, the provisional government would pay the troops and all the rest of it. So that was sort of yet another attempt yeah. because forcing troops into Cork would have been a very risky operation. But Jerry, you have that great picture in, in your book, The Barracks, yeah. and also in, in the in the, the, the exhibit at St. Peter's of the, 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 the flagpole being cut down on yeah. the way out. And so... As as you mentioned, it's it's like it's a psychologically important moment. Yeah. yeah so in that episode, that's May. There are crowds out. People are cheering. Yeah. The British troops march down Military Hill, down to the docks. They get right. They get right on the ships, right down at the keys. And IRA and guys come in. People are waving them off. Yeah. yeah, people are waving them off. And then <laughs> and then the IRA guys come marching in. They have With a piper pipe band. and the pipe yeah. band, and people are cheering them. And so it's it's this physical manifestation of independence, and that actually really bolsters the provisional government um, and their and their claims to legitimacy. At what point is the four courts occupied? Because that's sort of a, like a Trojan horse almost, isn't it? This, but this was a direct challenge yes. to the authority of, of the Commons and, and, and provisional And largely government. ignored. Absolutely. Initially. This was in, in April, I think the 12th of April, um, if I'm not mistaken, around 200 men led by Rory O'Connor marched in and effectively took over the four courts in Dublin. Like I said, this was direct challenge to the authority of provisional government, right? And it presented a very, I suppose, dangerous moment 
in for the country, actually. So how would Collins react? Like, this is April, and I think that was sort of a tipping point where they realised that how close everything could come to civil war. But they were largely left there for a, well, for a period. See, but the thing is, I, nobody really wanted to start shooting. No. Everyone knew each other. Yeah. This it's, is the problem. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, they yeah. were comrades, yeah. you know? And there's also, there's a, there is a division within the anti-treaty IRA. So militant, they're hardliners who say, like, look, let's... We're strong enough now to take out the provisional government. There's, the National Army was quite small at the time. They could have taken him out and established a military dictatorship. And there are people who want to do that. Rory O'Connor and kind of the hardliners, they want to do that. And then there are moderates who think, like, no, that's a bad idea. The people will turn against us and, and people won't put up for it. And and they're led by kind of who we, we would think about real like real hardliners. The Cork IRA, uh, Liam Lynch, uh, Sean O'Hagerty, folks folks who would be would have these, Flory O'Donnell, people who would have these hardline uh, uh, reputations were actually – opposed to a military dictatorship. So the anti-treaty forces don't, they allow the situation to drift further and the provisional government gets stronger and stronger. They're being armed by the British and they're able to build up these forces and eventually take on and eject the, the anti-treaty forces from the four courts. Uh, there's there's a whole, we won't go into that, because but there's the battle for Dublin and there's a whole block taken on O'Connell Street. There's there's a, a whole operation that happens there, but ultimately Dublin is, 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 is you know, power is retaken in Dublin. The, the, the anti-treaty forces are ejected from the city and they go back down around the rest of the country, particularly to Munster. And there's a line from Limerick to Waterford, uh, f- which is where we, we from, from here we will, we will build and, and see how long we can defy the national government and undermine them effectively. Because you'd also wonder, I mean, what could the possible, um, you know, plan have been? You know, what, what, could the objective have been? What did they think was going to, could happen from that point? You, you wouldn't, and, I, and, I don't know. And this is one of the things when you look at the, the, the balance of power between the, the, the both forces. I mean, in fairness to the Collins and the provisional government, most of the general headquarters staff remained pro-treaty and they did have a very clear operation as concept of operations, what they wanted to do. But as you rightly said, what was the Republican plan? You know, they did withdraw behind this sort of, you know, um, imaginary Limerick-Waterford line. It wasn't a line of trenches as as we'd have in the First World War. And they set up what became known as the Munster Republic, really. It was the real Republican stronghold. And that, again, from Collins's perspective, if he wanted to regain control, sorry, gain control of the entire country, that remained a major objective. But like I said, from the Republican side, there did appear to be sort of a lack of serious planning, lack of objective. Strategy. Well, Strategy, well, they, well they, they also didn't have, they were military, the, the people who who led this, uh, the anti-treaty campaign were military people and the politicians became subordinate. So Cahill Brew is, is killed fighting as like a ordinary guerrilla fighter in, you know, he's a major political leader. De Valera is now a captain in the IRA out kind of, you know, uh, attached to an IRA unit. They don't have a, they don't have a civil side of what's mm. happening. Mm. But as the weeks go on and in this month, so-called Munster Republic, they start to build up their own civil administration slowly. The big thing is here in Cork is they take over the Port of Cork and they start to divert the excises that are on on uh, duties, import and export duties. And that's, they get a ton of money out of that. They're, they're getting about 20,000 uh, pounds a week. They, ra- they raise about 100,000 pounds. 
that way. They're also able, they also start to, they take over the tax offices and they basically realize that wealthy people haven't been paying income taxes for the previous couple of years. And so they start issuing income tax uh, <laughs> bills to them and they have IRA guys kind of coming in and seizing the records. And what they're starting to do is they're starting to build up a war chest and they're also starting to like kind of manufacture their own armored cars at the Ford's factory and elsewhere. So they, they are kind of developing a, a, the, a the, 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 very, the very beginning, but it's they're, they're the really, overall they're objective really, would be it's still like, what are they going to do? Move back up the country and retake it? Maybe. Well, what they what they could have done militarily, as Jerry could tell you, is the, the key moment is in the first week or so is in Limerick City. Yeah. And the IRA has a, a, numer- a strong numerical advantage in Limerick City. And if they're able to go from there, they can get up to Connacht. And they're quite strong in Connacht. They're quite strong in Mayo and in Sligo. So they could conceivably divide the country on an east-west axis and then maybe constrict Dublin. But in Limerick, they're defeated. And they're defeated because Liam Lynch, the IRA commander, thinks that he can get a settlement from the the, the, the National Army leaders, who he knows personally, uh, with Donica Hannigan and Mick Brennan. Uh, and there's a, a truce briefly, and then that's thrown out and the, and the national army come in heavy and they bring in artillery and they blast the ira out of limerick city and then from there that's don't you think that's kind of the, the war lost almost jerry yeah and limerick and waterford go so it's left with Cork. exactly Kilmallock and others but it, john made a good point there i mean when we look at again the balance of forces two things jump to mind that the british army or the british government were supplying the national army with armor and artillery which is critical in any in, in any battle. They were supplying them with weapons to arm the infantry. And also that you had a lot of the senior leaders who had experience in the First World War, like W.R.E. Murphy, Emmett Dalton, J.J. O'Connell had, had served with the American Army. Prout. So they, Prout, another one. So they had experience at the higher level of organizing operations, something that the IRA... Excellent fighters that they were at the guerrilla side. Mm. They they would have lacked that experience at organizing large scale, we'll say divisional size operations. And now you've also split the people too, because uh, people must be tired. I mean, you mentioned that you listed a number of things. Uh, we, we, we missed out on the fact that, well, it, it, World War One had occurred as well. And a lot of Irish people had been involved in that. People must have been just so tired and just let me, just, uh, let me come back. Worn and, out. Come back to that, Dave. In the core context, um, we'll say city and county. Let's look at it. Okay, you would have had the home, crew, home rule crisis. Then you had the, the 1916 rising where hundreds of guys would have been arrested and taken away. The First World War, over 4,200, roughly, city and county men were killed in the First World War. 4,200. That would have left widows, parents, children behind, people, ordinary people trying to get their lives together, keep, you know, keep living, basically. And straight away on top of that, we had the pandemic. Over 2,000 fatalities in the city and county of Cork between 1918 and 1920, I think it was, right? Then we're hit with the War of Independence, the burning of Cork City. Now we have a civil war upon us. Like, when you think of it, no, oh, I think we, it's we never insane really, we the, never the litany really of events and how close together to they the are. ordinary people, mm. what sort of existence mm. they were having, how they were struggling just mm. to keep bread on the table, yeah. really. I think that's an important aspect of any conflict. You know, we talk about Ukraine today and what mm. the people are mm. going through. Let's pause mm. and remember the people of Cork mm. when and, we're talking about all this. And then in the first, and then in those first months... 
of you know in the drift of six months before this between the child signing and starting of the shooting there's also there's there's effectively no police in the country the 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 guards haven't been formed the provisional government's not operating outside of Leinster uh, the IRA is quite they don't they, they're they're part-time they're not full-time and there's an outbreak of real militant uh, labor strikes there are Soviets to decla- worker Soviets declared including a whole lot up in kind of the Golden Vale up in uh, in tip East Limerick in North Cork, there are so there's a lot of strikes. There's a lot of labor agitation. Um, there's a lot of agrarianism because, of course, are, the whole Bolshevism is happening in, Bolshevism, in, in, in exactly. Russia at the same people, time. I mean, think about it. People in Ireland, beautiful Catholic Ireland, are, are flying red flags. Mm. There, the labor, you know, uh, labor does really well in the 1922 uh, election, and guys are marching around the city with red flags. Um, there is also ordinary agrarianism because people who have longstanding, uh, you know, issues over land occupation all of a sudden there's no one there's no one around to stop them so you have a lot of violence there's the ira doesn't have financial support so they commandeer goods and vehicles from commercial people and you know they 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 rob banks to get money to buy cigarettes and Mm. and what have you so it's chaotic chaos it's chaotic and there's or there's also a lot of ordinary crime Mm. that that nobody's responsible for Mm. so for the, a lot of the public, there is, as Jerry said, there is a weariness about all this, and there's a fear about what's coming down mm. the line, and there's a real demand and urge for, for normalcy. So we started this actually by saying, what was the battle for Cork? We're, we're getting to it, ladies and gents uh, that, are, <laughs> that are listening to us. In, in terms of it being an amphibious uh, assault on the city of Cork to take it back from the anti-treaty forces who had held it for that period of time. Uh, Limerick and Waterford had gone. Cork remained their big battle up at Kilmallock, as you mentioned, Jerry. Uh, but the, the, and the anti-treaty forces knew that there was likely to be a water-based landing. So they destroyed piers in various harbours around the place, including Union Hall, which is one of the three locations, I believe, that, that ships were launched but it was still somewhat unexpected was it so they so okay it doesn't take a military genius to know that you have a big uh, water back door <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. There, and and when you think about the the Munster coast you could land in a, like a dozen places where you you know you could offload heavy uh, heavy equipment and troops so there's all countless places mm. what the IRA did was they they occupied all the coast guard stations um, they set up they kind of occupied a lot of the lighthouses and they defended they had some some basic defense stuff in some of the ports they were actually fairly uh, the, the the lower harbor of cork was reasonably defended they had a couple garrisons they had guys watching out at roaches point um they garrisoned passage west uh they had but they they thought the big landing was going to be on the great island uh in cove and they had trenches dug and they had guys kind of down a photo house and they that's what they were expecting um the 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 way the national army did it was that, well first they landed in Phoenix and and and, and took Tralee kind of what was it the second of August and then uh, they come Westport, in another one. what's that Westport Westport they done a couple yeah. of maybe a week week prior to that but this one they come in in the middle of the night bank it's holiday a bank holiday Monday which you know I'm, as I said I'm American so we always talk about the Japanese attacking Pearl Harbor on a Sunday morning you know what kind of <laughs> diabolical and it's like what a <laughs> attacking on a bank holiday <laughs> Monday oh, <dare> cool. <laughs> and so they come in and they simultaneously uh, drop troops at Yall, 
um, and at Union Hall. And then they go, they're actually not intending to land in Cove or in the Lower Harbor. They have ambitions to land right in the city, the city. and to come right up to Ford's, uh, to the old Ford's factory, which would had started, opened in 1917, had good landing facilities, and they could offload there and then rush through the city. Because they knew the city had some basic defenses and there were a couple hundred IRA there, even though much of the IRA fighting forces were fighting up in Kilmallock and out in Waterford, but the city still had some folks left. Um, and that's where you get on, on the night of... Uh, of uh, but they, they, they were prevented from going into the city because of the dredge knots. The dredge knots. They were so a couple of dredgers <laughs> were scuttled uh, at the, by, I presume by Blackrock Castle. But they won't scuttle straight away. Right. Yeah. So, so the IRA, <laughs> blocking ships. Uh, they had, blo- they had these, yeah, they, they blocked. So oh. if you know the, the, the channel, the channel's really That's narrow. Right, yeah. It's very, it's quite narrow. Um, and in Lockman kind of off of, uh, off of Douglas kind of, uh, near, quite near, uh, Blackrock Castle, um, they, the IRA sees two, um, dredges from the port. Um, and they basically used them as block ships oh, and they okay. put a couple of machine guns on them and they also had scuttling charges on them. And so when ships would come up channel, they would stop and they had a little they had power boats and they were kind of operating out of Black Rock Castle and they'd kind of go out and they'd check the papers and make sure there's no invasion force on board. And had there been, they would detonate the the, the, the charges and sink and block the, the but, gotcha. but it's interesting, as, as you said, the, the court people passed judgment on their effectiveness by christening them dredge knots like names <laughs> not dredge knot or dreadnoughts sorry yeah, yeah. as the big battleships but dredge knot yeah yeah really yeah, that, you know and, and, and also and so also, they were only dredge knots <laughs> by and, and also you know the IRA, they're also called the IRA Navy you know so it's a total yeah. um, and but Dalton gets word en route up Dal- um, Dalton gets word Dal- and so uh, so what happens is there's also ship service so in Republican Hell Cork, the, their jobs jobs are, are are going. There's no economic activity. People are taking their big newspaper advertisements for for fire insurance, and, 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 and people think the whole city's going to be destroyed. So and there's a bit of a panic feeling yeah, in the air. Panic. There's people are hoarding. And people food are legging and, it. Yeah. yeah, people are legging it, and 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 there's it's anticipated that it's going to be heavy fighting Major in the battle. city. Yeah. I, I came across a, a reference from Michael Collins where he's. Uh, explaining to an American U.S. senator that, you know, you might have to burn cork to save it, yeah. something along those lines. So that's what's anticipated. Um, but there's still ship service to, is it to Hollyhead, Jared? Yeah, the classic. The classic. The, classic, the, the, the city of Cork steam packet company mm. ship ran a daily, mm. daily. Um, or a weekly. It's, week, a, week, sorry, it's, a, it's a weekly, it's yeah. a weekly service, service to, yeah. to, to Hollyhead. And it's like, it's like passengers and freight. Yeah. So that ship leaves at five o'clock on bank holiday Monday. Uh, and it goes out, it goes by passage in the IRA garrison there, it goes out by Roach's Point. Um, in At midnight, a ship looking exactly like the classic comes into harbor. And the folks at Cove and the folks at Passage assume that it's the classic that's come back for repairs. But in fact, it's the Arvonia full of... Uh, 800 or so free state troops and armored cars and artillery and they dock at Passage West and they immediately kind of overrun the, uh, the little well, IRA they, well, garrison they, they get word somewhere along the way that they can't make it up through the city they take on a river pilot they take on a, a, a pilot who, who I think Dalton shoves a gun in his gut and uh, and he tells them that the, that, that, the, that the harbor's mined the city's mined but it's actually these dredges so, and, so, and, so and, the dredges and, and are general, actually quite effective in their own Dalton is the leader of the, of the yeah. operation so the, the, the guy who 
Yeah, really sliding missing. doors moment. You wonder if if that hadn't Absolutely. been mistaken. What I mean, what what might they? I know this is silly now to pause on this, but they'd have t- they'd have opened fire on that ship at that point, and well, they, they might have, they might have been able to if they, had they been able to sink the ships, they might have been able to not. They would have had a turnaround, and Absolutely. the IRA would have been. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what happens is. So Emma Dalton is leading yeah. the force. Emma Dalton is, um, he had had a, a really good war service, war record in the British Army, had uh, commanded troops at different levels. Uh, and he's he's probably, uh, I think, the. what do you think, Jerry? I think he's the best military leader of the Absolutely. Of, of he, was di- he was director of military operations in the National Army. And just to, to go back with what John was saying, a lot of people mightn't realize, um, he, he joined the, initially he joined the Irish Volunteers, but in 1915, he felt that, that the, the German militarism had to be stopped and he joined the Royal Dublin Fusiliers. He was a lieutenant. On the 9th of September 1916, he fought at the Battle of Ginchy, which was part of the wider Somme campaign. And on that day, he wasn't too far away from um, Tom Kettle, the Irish poet, mm. right? A nationalist MP mm. who lost his life in that battle. Mm. So this is the first time that Emmett Dalton would have seen somebody very famous and been very close to somebody famous mm. who was killed in action. We could talk about the other time uh, later. But he had huge military experience. He went on to fight in Salonika in Palestine as well. He was known as, he won the military cross in the war. He was known as a very innovative commander, very daring as well. And he is attributed with... Um, um, conceiving the, the amphibious, amphibious the plan landing in, the first in, place. In, in Cork. And the simultaneous. Absolutely. And one thing to realise, you know, an amphibious landing is one of the most dangerous military operations. Just look what happened at Gallipoli in 1915. I mean, Cork people would be very familiar there. There was nearly 300 Royal Monster Fusiliers and Dublin Fusiliers wiped out. So if something goes wrong, you're a you know, you're, in, you're real, in real, real trouble. So it was, as you said, a matter of luck mm. that the Classic had sailed that night. It, and it was mistaken. Yeah, and then and because almost immediately, uh, there's even they overrun the guys in passage, but the volunteers start kind Rally. of kind Rally. of sniping. They start sniping down on them. The big thing is there's a big force over in in um, in Foda Cove, the good well organized column, and they go to Caraglow and they start peppering the ships, and they end up they end up taking out their radio and they're they're firing for. Uh, they're firing continuously. And then the IRA also had a, an elaborate destruction plan and they start to blow up all the bridges. So they blow up the Douglas railway bridge. They broke They blow up the, the, the railway connection um, on the cove to, to Cork railway. They, they, they take, they blow up the bridges connecting cove to little Island. Um, all of the road, I think that night, Within about an hour or two hours of the, the National Army landing, like five or six bridges are blown and disabled, so they can't be used by the the National Army to approach the city. So that start that stuff starts going, and then the the IRA try to rush down reinforcements yeah. down to to meet them in the suburbs from and from Kilmarnock Way and yeah. quick, no, quick, so from the city as well. Initially, in, initially from oh, the, from from the city down to Rochester. Initially yeah. from the city, then, um, they empty they they get folks. They had from folks in Balancall some folks in the city and they rushed down and then the by the morning um the ira uh, get on the horn to 
guys in Waterford and in Kilmallock, and they pull out the, the columns that are comprised of the Cork 1 Brigade. And the IRA had commandeered trains, and so they get special trains to bring folks back, and they bring back about 200 IRA volunteers who are pretty well experienced and armed, and they're in, they're in the, the hills of a, a Roach's town by that evening. But, uh, but of, of the, of the, it's like the, the Wild the West. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Further, but as John said, further weakening the Limerick-Waterford line, yes. pulling these guys back, yes. to, back to, to Cork, you see, to, to take on that. But the moment that danger had passed, once they established a bridgehead, yes. that was the main thing. Yeah. And it's important to note, the IRA were armed with machine guns, rifles. The National Army brought with them an 18-pounder field gun, one of the best field guns in action at the time. They also brought with them a Rolls-Royce Whippet armored car that fired a Vickers machine gun and a peerless armored car that had armed with two Hotchkiss machine guns. These armored car were able to bring superior firepower to any point of a battlefield by providing protection to the men, something that the IRA lacked. Mm. And the artillery would be used very effectively in what I suppose the, the main um, opposition to the advance in Cork became known as the Battle of Douglas, which was sort of Rochestown, Douglas. Yeah, so 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 they come in. They come in at midnight Monday, going into Tuesday. Tuesday they move up from Passage towards Rochestown, and but they're getting they're getting sniped and they're moving really slowly. And it probably takes. It seems like it took them. Yeah, yeah. Might take them a little while to get offload the ship as well. Um, and they get into Rochestown Station. Um, what's the hotel that's down there that they just they were just kind of yeah, yeah. Well, it doesn't matter um, and the and, monastery, I think and, and, the, and the big thing is they're up towards the, the, the Capuchin hills. Monastery yeah. and the kind of the ridge over the yeah. Capuchin Monastery and then the IRA have kind of good firing positions there and so that's that's Tuesday and then Tuesday night all these reinforcements get down from Kilmallock and Waterford um, then Wednesday all hell breaks Basically. loose and that's and that's where there's kind of all there's there's nonstop fighting for much of the for most of the day and the IRA have strong positions but the free state are able to bring in this artillery, artillery yeah. and they and they shell up the Rochestown road uh, they bring it up to Rochestown road and they get on the ridge right above the Capuchin monastery and they shell out but they're also dropping shells on photo house yeah they're, or, or they're shooting shells towards photo house they're shooting uh, shells the the um, the IRA have all their lorries parked by Maryborough house and Douglas uh, and they're dropping shells out there. So yeah, it's, this, was a, this was a major battle. Yeah, I mean, you exactly. had artillery, yeah. you had armored cars, yeah. rifle fire, machine gun yeah. fire, and it was really one of the big ones. This yeah. was a serious um, um, engagement. Yeah, like, a few hundred. There are a few hundred guys involved on just in that, yes, and there and there are hundreds All up more. In, there are hundreds more. Duff Woods. Yeah. yeah, is the Capuchin ca- Capuchin the Monastery? Ca- Capuchin Monastery is that Rochestown that's Boys yeah. College? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's exactly, and that's where all most of the fighting's right around there, and. And, and then up towards um, the is it the G? It's the what's the the playing fields up there, a little further up towards Rochester. Yeah, the G G up around that. There's a pitch up there. Gary yeah, Duff? The no, you're not talking about uh, Gary Duff. Whatever, wherever the pitch is. Yeah. Uh, that's all hell breaks loose up there, and there's they're, <laughs> they're shelling colleges. They're shelling yeah, everything. They're like, just, you know? and they're just, they're Lewis guns and yeah. machine guns. And then the IRA also have their own homemade armored car, which is like a big, huge box, which they call the laborer's cottage, yeah. or they just call it the cottage. Yeah. And, and not the and, same though. Yeah, yeah the, the which which is called the River Lee, yeah. and it's kind of blasting. So there, so there's all there's all hell's breaking loose. And then you also have in the city there is um, the IRA are starting to destroy uh, installations and what have you. So so it's chaotic. 
Uh, and that goes on for for the next day. But the the National Army have they're they're able to kind of push yeah, the, the superior firepower. The I think superior made firepower. the difference. You know, the artillery and the armored cars. Like I said, the armored cars were able to deliver firepower. Mm to widest parts of the battlefield mm. and the artillery as well the 18 pounder field gun did tilt the balance in their favour no that's not to to denigrate the resistance being put up by the Republicans mm. they, put up, they put up an amazing fight mm. whatever the shed the, 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 the famous rear guard action is uh it's made by uh, Ian Scotty McKenzie yes. Kennedy, who's who's a Highland character. Was, yeah. has a Highland Highland Scot has gone over had, had left Scotland to evade conscription. His mom kind of got him over. Took took him out to Ballingarry, uh, and he wore kilts everywhere. And he's a big <laughs> Scottish nationalist. And he joined the IRA, and so and 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 he was kind of a beloved character out there. And he but he wears his kilts and and what have you. And he uh, he he holds he holds a cottage. Uh, for for uh, to allow the the guys to recruit, and he's and he's killed kind of in dramatic fashion. So it's those, it's those kind of moments, and um, the the they're they're it's bloody. I mean, like Absolutely. there are a lot of people yeah. killed, and there are a hell of a lot of people wounded. And so it's 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 as I said, it is heavy. It's for the Irish Civil War. It's about as heavy the fighting gets. Yeah, equivalent to something up in Dublin. I mean, I think the casualty is eleven National Army and five um, IRA as well. But early in the morning of the tenth, I think the leadership in the city decided, look, we can't hold on. We and they decided to evacuate the city. And in doing so, as John mentioned, they adopted a scorched earth policy. Decided to burn Victoria Barracks, all the RIC barracks around the place, and they destroyed the presses in the Examiner, the press in the Cork Constitution newspaper as well. They I seize th- a bunch of stuff. They commandeer yeah. like printing presses, yeah, and, absolutely, and and vehicles and, around uh, the vehicles. place. They, the, they smash yeah. up the the, the the telephone exchange. They're taking like they're tele, they're taking like telephone equipment. Uh, they're taking all kinds of stuff. Uh, and then they're also they down in Cove. They burn Admiralty House and the old abandoned military na- the naval hospital. And they're they're burning stuff all, and, and all over the place. All there, over there's the a place. great there's a great account of um, the the British Royal Navy have a, a cruiser. Um, Oh, what's it called? The HMS Carriesford, I think. And it describes kind of there's all these fires in Cove and they're just kind of anchored right there, uh, uh, right off a of Hall Bolin and just kind of all kind of kind of watching kind of what probably with smiles on their face, you know, because this is what happens when we leave. It's <laughs> and- interesting because it, like you, you had a lot of, um, I suppose. I don't know what you call it. You, you didn't have war films in that day, but this was providing great entertainment for the Cork mm. people. There's a very good um, scene there, for want of a better word. Their IRA headquarters was in Union Key, RIC barracks, later Regatta barracks. But that was their headquarters. Before they burned that, they were sort of destroying papers. They had, they had commandeers, a whole range of vehicles to evacuate um, their troops and equipment. But it turned out they actually had too much, and so they were dumping them into the, into the river. And there was huge hundreds of people on, on Morrison's Island across the way cheering them on. And I think one truck got didn't it get sort of that got snagged on the quayside. And I was like, push, push, I push. Used, I, I used to work in Donkey's Ears on Union Key, and uh, if only I had known there that all go. those stories were there. So I Goodness mean, there's me. some there's some great films you see. And they, they, after they were finished, they just put Union Key to the torch. So, uh, Parliament Bridge, yeah. Brian Baru Bridge. So, yeah. They tried to blow a Parnell Bridge as well. It, so they it so didn't they, work though. You so know? I can't. I counted it in the harbor area. They they blew or blocked 35 bridges in that week. So th- so every bridge every bridge you can think of everywhere was was down in the city they they detonated a bomb on Parliament Bridge it, it looked like their original plans were, were to uh, they had strong points set up they were probably going to occupy Beamish 
um, Beamish Brewery, the bank, uh, the 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 Cork Savings Bank, and uh, Sutton's, which was a coal thing, mm. which is kind of gone mm. now. And they were going to, and and so they they yeah they lifted up the drawbridge there. They lifted they lifted it up. In so it was kind position. of the South Channel, was it? Yeah, yeah. the South Channel. It looked like they. It seemed like to me from what I read that they were going to defend the South Channel, but then they decided in fairness, like Liam Lynch and the guys, they decided it'd be, it'd be counterproductive <laughs> if the city was destroyed, kind of. They loved they Cork too much. Yeah. They, they loved Cork too much. They did damage, but like stuff like they didn't, they didn't set fires. They were going to burn the bonded warehouses and stuff, but they thought the fires might get out of hand. So they, they didn't, they, they were aware that, that things could get out of hand and they, and, and they would, that would cause a problem. You mentioned the Cork Examiner, so just briefly before we get back to the battle, because that was being run as a sort of a, a, a propaganda piece for the anti-treaty forces. Uh, yeah. Muriel McSweeney involved? Uh, Mary McSweeney. Mary McSweeney. And, and, and Erskine Childers yes. were running that. And and uh, the the writer, Frank O'Connor, was a war correspondent for them. And, and the other writer, Sean O'Fuelan, I think was also contributing stuff for them. And that was providing kind of a counterbalance because the newspapers were so all, all overwhelmingly pro-treaty. Uh, and uh, yeah, but they, but they, but that didn't. And <laughs> that didn't did, last. did you mention something about Frank O'Connor? Yeah, amusing. I mean, if people who be familiar with his autobiography, an only child, I think it is. He's mentioning that he on the morning of the tenth of August, he wrote, he just typed out an amazing uh, communique praising the IRA's defence. You know of mm. of. You know, stopping the landing and all the rest of it. And he looked out his office window and he saw the, you know, as he quote, the defenders were legging it. <laughs> you know, so there you go. Out the Western uh, Road. Yeah. West. And I mean, it's interesting. Before they burned the barracks, they had a, a National Army prisoners up there, free state prisoners. So they had to release them as well. Yeah, they had a couple they, hundred, they yeah. had a couple hundred National Army. So, in, in, in a lot of them in, in Corkman's prison yeah, too, they, by UCC. Yeah, all over the place. Uh, and, they marched them. And, then, yeah. and then they also, like, they had, um, they, they, they seized they they own the, the blocking ships the dredgenauts um, only sick. only one of them sank and then the royal navy retrieved another one which it charged the port of cork like 10 pounds for <laughs> uh, and then um, the the ira commandeered a steamer called the SS Gorilla. Gorilla, which was in front of the customs house, and they sailed it down to the channel, and they sank it, they scuttled it um, to block the channel, although they didn't quite the get currents, it right. The currents sort of pushed, kind of pushed it off. Side, so it left the channel open, left the channel open to the city. So, so on the third day, so Tuesday, there's fighting all day Tuesday, or there's, fi- there's some fighting Tuesday. Wednesday really heavy all fight, hell really, breaks loose. All hell breaks loose Wednesday. Thursday, the IRA disengage from Douglas Village and they start pulling out of the city. So they pull out, they start pulling out about noon. They fight in the morning. They start pulling out about noon. And then by about three o'clock, uh, maybe five o'clock, they're, they're gone. And they are going out by every every vehicle they, they have, you know, big dump trucks, lorries, uh, you know, roadsters, bicycles, Bikes, motorcycles. Yeah. They commandeered the Muskery tram, yeah. which was like a, a, a little light rail, narrow rail tram that we used to go to Dunhamore. The IRA are all on board that and they're kind of steaming out, going out of the station. It's like, like Sergio Leone film, yeah. you know? And uh, and they're, and um, some of them go out to Dunhamore area. Um, the big bulk of all the headquarters with all the, all the equipment, they all go out to McCroom Castle. Uh, and... Uh, and you know, there's a coming them on ambulance service. 
uh, and you know who have been treating casualties. They're they're out. So hundreds and hundreds of Republicans are are, are head head west, and they describe people on the western road just standing on their on their front porches, just watching this whole cavalcade. And you fast know? forward to that night, the night of the the tenth, I think it is. The Republicans had gone. The Free State were, or the National Army was cautiously making its way into the city. Gingerly. Gingerly, absolutely. <laughs> sent an advance guard as military forces do. Um, I don't think anything could have prepared them for the welcome they received. Hundreds of people turned out into the street welcoming them. I think there's some reports that um, some of the local girls were a bit amorous, you know, when they saw the, they were, their, their, their welcome to the troops was a bit, <laughs> a bit much for the want of better yes. words. But it was amazing. Like there was, Hundreds, if not thousands, of people out in the street cheering them. Like they just poured out from buildings, cheered them on as they made their way into the city. And we have evidence of that because oh, in absolutely. the exhibition in St yes. Peter's on North Main Street, running until uh, uh, December twenty twenty two, now open. Uh, who's the cameraman? Well, and and, and who, guy, I w- presume w- he's with the w- National w- Army. W. D. Hogan. W. D. Hogan. Um, he was actually a mallow man originally, but he set up a photography business up in Dublin, and he was what today would be called an embedded photographer. Mm. Like you know, he travelled yes. with the National Armies from Dublin down to Cork and all the rest. And he took an amazing series of photographs. No, you, I must admit, they're all one-sided as they're from the National Army side, <laughs> yes. right? There's nothing there from the Republican side. But they do give a very graphic illustration of some of the key points of the Battle for Cork, like the fighting around Rochestone, the landing, the departure from Dublin. And like I said, the, the enormous welcome that the people in the city had for these. You know, I mean, I think the, the arrival of the National Army... Um, symbolized a return, hopefully, to stability. Yes. And really. the city hadn't been burned. And the, the city, city hadn't, hadn't been burned. burned. That's Absolutely. a big part of it. And so they come in, they come in by um, City Hall, by Charlie's, yeah. and, and the, the Phoenix and stuff, and right in that corner, yeah. and Union Key, and there's, and they're, there, there's a big, great photograph of people just throwing their hats, yeah. and hundreds of people out. Hundreds. And, and, hundreds. and um, the, so the- And the Imperial Hotel puts on tea and sandwiches from- and loads of other restaurants to pour out food from and everything. So, and so our saviors, and, and, yeah. yeah well, so the, and, the, and especially people who the establishment figures, the merchants are are really happy. Well, so law and order is law and order. Hopefully, is returning. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and I don't think that's any reflection on yes, I suppose yes. the lack of the Republican credentials of yes, Cork people. Yes. I think as a people, they were human beings. Yeah. They, they were worn out yeah. by war, like yeah. the, what I mentioned earlier. Everything had just they were they just wanted to get on with their yes. lives. So I think that's important. To, I've seen to one know. of the photos of uh, prisoners uh, being taken by the National Army, and it looks like uh, where Goldberg's is, which is off Albert Key. Maybe that's Albert Road yeah. at the beginning of it. But that looks to be where where they are. And it's just amazing to look at those black and white photos uh, to know the the historic scene that's going on. And and you know we walk there. Uh, the large crowds to be big crowds. Up, yeah, right. they're, they're, they're being marched up the Cork. Women's jail, I think, or as a male prison, whatever. Right, but interesting to note, some of their family members or friends are out, around there as well. And if you look very closely at those photographs, the other interesting point which we could discuss is a lot of the national troops are in civilian clothing, right? And of course, one of the things that Emmett Dalton did that would cause um, provide a major propaganda coup, of course, for the Republicans was he recruited ex-British servicemen in the city. There was, I'm not too sure what the figures on. A couple of hundred anyway. Yeah. You know, in his first report, he went, he sent back to army headquarters in Dublin. He said he managed to recruit a couple of hundred um, ex-British ex-servicemen, well, Irish yes. war veterans, yes. right? And they brought with him war experience, mm. which was very important as mm. well. And, because and needed a job. This absolute, the city would have been flooded with these guys. Mm. At the end of the war, the Irish regiments mm. had been disbanded. These guys were all being sent home mm. again. And... Here you had it. As you said, they needed, needed a, job, a job and this was a And a big difference between the IRA and the National Army was the IRA didn't pay its volunteers. 
Yes. So there was. So there's always so there's, not to say that the guys are mercenaries. Yes. But there's a but there's a human element to some of this as well. You know. Uh, Jerry, thank yeah. you for your time because I know you postponed a, a, or, or at least and need to. But so the IRA leaves. This is, we, we, we're getting to. Yeah. to yes. I think the natural end to our yeah. conversation this evening. And I'm very grateful. Thank you very much, both of you. Uh, the IRA leave the city. Not long after. Michael Collins, in his wisdom, comes down to Cork to 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 tour around and to is it is it a PR is it to is to show we're in command? I don't know but what you I, call do, it his do, wisdom. What are the dates? I don't know what you call it his wisdom, really. Is, but is it know, ten it, days it, later? Yeah, he, he was under, he left Dublin, I think, the, the morning of the twentieth. Right. right. So so the, so the so the dates are so the the Free State lands on the eighth. They're out of the city on the tenth. They get they it takes them a while to get because everything's so ruptured it takes him at least another week to get around out into the county and to link up i think they're in mccroom on about the 17th or 18th and then collins on the 21st goes around to the banks of cork and he's trying to recover this commandeered money. Uh, tax money from the cork customs house which we talked about and he visits all him and emma dalton go up and visit all the banks on on the the south mall and then he decides to go the next day on the 22nd to go on a tour um out to skibbereen and, did, and did, he want, did he want to go home and see family or it, it could have been, but I mean like it's the heartland of, of, of the, the IRA the important thing to note here is we all talk about what's coming right but there had been a number of attempts to kill Collins before mm. that mm. I mean there was some guy I think tried to shoot him outside Vaughan's hotel Coming back after after Griffith's funeral, his car was machine gunned. He wasn't in it. Mm. Lady Lavery refers to an uh, um, an attempt to shoot Collins when himself and herself were heading out to the home of Horace Plunkett. I think on the either the eighteenth or nineteenth of August. So there had been a number of mm. attempts to take him out. Yeah, you but know? I I I think the whole thing it's. It reeks of hubris. Yeah, <laughs> he absolutely. he runs he runs into the but guy I've done work on. He'd spent the War of Independence operating that yes, way. Yes. Uh, you know, they're the stories that they say. Yeah. Who is it you're after, Collins? Jeez, what does he look like? Yeah, yeah. Uh, know, said by like, Collins too. Large to, element of truth in those stories. Yeah. I think, you know? Well, he goes. He goes. So has he? He's lived like that. He, yeah, and he and he's close and, to the edge. And a lot of people think the war's over. And what has happened is the IRA leadership has gone, okay, we're going to resume guerrilla war. And a lot of the IRA units, because the IRA governed itself democratically, they used to have these endless meetings Meetings. where they would figure (laughs) out their policy. So one of the big fighting units is the Cork 3 Brigade, and they use Crookstown. Uh, to meet because it's a nice meeting place, uh, good crossroads, and they're having a big meeting. De Valera happened to be attending another meeting up the road in Gugan Barra. Children's was down or, the road. Well. They, they, people oh, are going through, and, and, they're, and, and Dev is actually telling people they should actually stop. stop the fighting. And he moves on, and it's at one of these meetings that Collins's convoy just comes driving right by, right by the pub. They ask for directions to abandon, and because all these roads are blocked right. and all the bridges and are blocked, all the, the all the IRA guys who are there know he's going to come back the same way, and that's how we get the attack on 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 him. And it's, it's this, but Bail the blah, an ambush set for twenty four hours. Seemingly, they they thought they're not coming, and they were disassembling at at the time the convoy arrives. Right. Had, had 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 the convoy been on time. And if you, if you, when you go down there, when you see where the guys were, and these were really these are the most experienced fight IRA fighters in the country, they had a good ambush position. Had Collins convoy been there five or ten minutes earlier when they were still in position, or half an hour earlier, or whatever, over. it would have been game over. It was about fifty of them on the roadside. They had a roadblock. They had a huge mine there, 
and it would have been really, I think... They'd have wiped him out. Yeah, well, well, I mean, he ended up d- dead yeah, anyway, yeah, but yeah. the whole convoy would have been wiped yeah. out. Um, just for anyone that goes down to the site, which has now been redeveloped after the, the, the centenary uh, commemoration recently, but it's not quite at that location, is it? No, no, I mean, if you look at cont- some photographs of W.D. Hogan as well, you see the National Army guys praying on the opposite side of the road, and he was actually killed on the opposite side of the road. Apparently, he was running down. He spotted some guys, IRA lads retreating, and as you said, hubris. Well, someone said it was like the last shot of the day. Even the operation was about a half hour, yeah. but a, a gunfight. The, the, the IRA guys were, were they, there's a there's a Marine that runs parallel to the road, and then there's a, another Marine kind of off that that goes towards a farmhouse, and the lads were running up that, up that laneway, and Colin saw him go, and he left cover to get a better shot at them as they Bang. were running away, and him. somebody was covering them. And actually, the monument, he's not killed that far from the not monument. Far from it's, it, but it's on the opposite side. Off the, the opposite road. side, but, with, but within yeah. probably 30 or 40 meters, don't you think, Jerry? Well, yeah, about that, but they couldn't, obviously, because that road is very marshy grown. Right. They couldn't actually erect a huge monument on that side. Yes, of the yes, road. yes, yes. But it is close enough. Okay. It is close enough. It's not too far. But um, so a, a covering shot, they, they wouldn't have known it was Collins from that distance. Unlikely. It was yeah. August, sun was fading, you know, there's eight o'clock, around eight o'clock in the evening. And but, but up he went straight, stood up tall, up no no covering, no see, ducking. Again, we go back to what I said earlier on, you know, Emmett Dalton, his first reaction was drive like hell. Like that's a normal reaction for a military man. You get the hell out of an mm. ambush site as mm. fast as possible. Yes. Collins said, stop, we fight. No, the other thing is, they had been having a few drinks around the place as well. Mm. Maybe Collins's guard was down. He had met his friends and family mm. down around West Cork mm. as well. He was obviously feeling good. He had a meet. And yet, you talk about the Civil War. The last, Collins's last supper, for the want of a better word, was in Lee's Hotel, now the Munster Arms in Bandon. The man he dined with was Brigadier General Sean Hales. And while they were having that meal, Sean Hales' brother Tom was waiting at Bien Leblanc to shoot Collins. Goodness me. And we have good footage. Uh, we can we already close out. There's You guys have great stuff from the Hales family that's coming into the Cork Public Museum, which yeah. is another th- oh, uh, yes. exhibit you're yes. curating, Jerry. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, well, not curating, but I did assist there. I mean, one of the items on display there is the actual suit worn by Sean Hales when he was later That's shot. Dan Breen, Dan who Dan runs yes, the Cork yeah, Public yeah. Museum in Fitzgerald's Park, yes, which yes. we meant to mention when we were yes, chatting absolutely. on air on my show there a little I, while I, ago. So I, when I, that comes about, we'll chat again on air, Jerry. But I think, look, if you don't mind me getting a plug in, I think it's oh, remarkable will work here for Cork City Council's Commemoration Committee. They've done amazing work for the start of the decade of centenaries. They've looked at, they've conducted a whole range of, of community-based and city-based um events that looked at all aspects of the War of Independence. And I think, you know, I tip my hat to them. It's, yeah. it's been an amazing... As historians act. in this field, we're blessed, actually. Yeah, absolutely. We're blessed. Absolutely. We're, blessed with, we're blessed with really good support, really good institutions, and a public that has this insatiable desire to learn about all things Cork and especially related to the revolutionary period. But if you want to look at, again, the Battle for Cork, visit St. Peter's. Uh, just... As a finish, a loose sketch because there's a sort of it's sort of a formal fighting affair until Cork is retaken. It goes guerrilla again after and that. It goes particularly Colin's nasty. been killed. It gets bitter. Yes. There's a, a, a executions, and it just you know that's the not that any of it was pleasant before that, but it's it's it's. Well, the, there's there's one very good photograph again. It's not in St Peter's, so in Cork Public Museum of the when Collins is. Um, Funeral cortege is making its way up to the to Patrick Street. There's a Lancia armored car, and dabbed in white paint on the side of it is "Revenge for Collins." That says it all.
revenge for Collins. And as you said, the Battle for Cork was the last what we call conventional, conventional. operation mm. of the Civil War. After that, it turned into a guerrilla campaign and it turned particularly nasty. And, and it also ended Cork's brief run as the real capital of the Republic. <laughs> and and it wasn't, it's not coincidence, it was a bunch of Dubliners who came down and, <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and, con- and conquered the city, if only briefly. <laughs> John Borgen over UCC History, Jerry White, military historian. Thank you very much. Uh, St. Peter's, North Main Street, the battle for Cork. Go learn and see it all. And thank you very much for being a part of this Cork History Matters podcast. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.